Show, Sports Nine Five Nine, the Fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. You know what I'm looking at right now? I'm scared, scared to find out. Eastern Conference standing. Hey, it's <laughs> so stupid. But yeah, you know what else is stupid? The Bruins just keep losing players. Doesn't matter who they lose, they just win. Five and zero, the only undefeated team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Ten points through their first five games. The Leafs with six through their first three, and I think Gord Stellick hit it mm. perfectly when talking about the 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 show we could have been doing today if yes. the Leafs did not come all the way oh back against the Tampa Bay Lightning, despite the fact that like the process was still good. I saw some people talking about the process the Oilers are going through. Hey, their expected goals for percentage is super high. Don't don't worry. <laughs> How's that going to look without ninety seven? It's going to be tough. It's going to be a Tough couple of weeks uh, as Connor McDavid uh, is day-to-day. But, yeah, going to miss uh, two weeks for the Oilers, it looks like, and they only have uh, one victory this season. So that that's – that's uh, and it's only five games for them too, but that's the conversation, not exact apples to apples, but mm-hmm. a conversation like that could have been taking place today when it comes to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Instead, it's 180 degrees the opposite. They did play a full – 60 plus minutes of hockey and John Cooper gave them credit for doing so and looking like the oh, more desperate team we in know the third how much period. They love respect from him. Yeah, John Cooper's head games no longer work with the Toronto Maple Leafs who have now knocked off the Lightning in a six-game series and taken points in all of the last four regular season meetings including all three last season. Mm. Cue the uh, Pedro Martinez. Oh, they're my daddy. You know, that's what I, that's <laughs> I don't what think I, we're going to hear that. I don't think we're going to get that. I don't <laughs> think we'll be getting that from Cooper or anybody involved. Uh, maybe Stamkos when he eventually signs with the Leafs next year and he goes, oh, you guys were yeah, our daddy. That's oh, right. Boy. Yeah. Oh, I'm already so excited for that drop. No, uh, in terms of what you saw there, you're right. I think the big difference here and, you know, not to say the big guns haven't been producing somewhat in Edmonton, but the difference here is if it didn't go that way, you would have questions about the bulk of the roster, but it'd be a very different conversation when the sky has been falling here typically in the past. There's been one, two, sometimes three of the big four that we can point at and say, you need more from these guys. Mm-hmm. They've all been so good yeah. so early on. I mean, Marner, the the least of the bunch, and you know, he's had a pretty strong start to the season as well. So I think that's just the interesting nature of it is that, you know, it's it's funny. We've had so many of similar conversations in Leaf Lamb for so much of this core, but this is the one year where it really does feel so much different just in terms of the makeup and it's just because there's so many new pieces kind of filtering through the bottom. Yeah. And Max Domi had his day, right? He did the yeah. game. He's, he's, he's back. Uh, uh, he's thanking Matthew Nyes for his incredible finishing ability. Boy, is he couple of great finishes. I mean, the, the shot going far side uh, and then the incredible ability to readjust and get it over yep. the glove on the game tying goal. So he's had his moment. Hey, Tyler Bertuzzi did score a goal. And he had the scrum heard round the world when Austin Matthews engaged physically kind of with someone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he the, the goal on the power play is his only point this season, despite the fact that he's playing with two of the best offensive players on planet Earth. Yep. Two guys with... 60 goal man and a 99 point man. So, okay, we're off of Max Domi as far as reasons to be concerned about this team. We can be concerned about Ilya Samsonov, but he's mm-hmm. not going to play tomorrow. I think... We're now in Tyler Bertuzzi watch land. Like, I think Tyler Bertuzzi is... He not has so that, much like, more run. He does, but I think, like, if you're going down the list of things, like, because John Klingberg, we had our, our yeah. moments questioning him. I think we'll we know... Who, there. <laughs> I, I think we know who John Klingberg is, right? And I think we generally know what Tyler Bertuzzi is, but it in early returns, it hasn't been 
as good as it could have been on that type top line, despite the fact that Matthews started his season with a couple of hat tricks. For sure. The Matthews, the Matthews back-to-back hat tricks is going to paper over uh, a lot there in terms of the production of, of that top line. The other thing with, with Bertuzzi, and I mentioned it there in terms of the rope he has, it's just the style of play he has. And not that Domi doesn't try to play that way, but he just has physical limitations in that regard. Bertuzzi is just someone who the fan base so badly wants to buy into that there will be the run there. And then he is able to do an, an you know, sometimes I think it's a little, it's not theatrics. He means to do it, but sometimes this stuff doesn't matter as much, but there's going to be the face washes. There's going to be the scrums. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he's going to have a long rope. But again, you're not, you're not telling me anything. I don't know. I was a guy banging the drum saying, do not take the chemistry that bunting had with the guys in the top six for granted, because it's not to say it's impossible or all that hard to replicate, but it's far from a certainty that whoever you put there will have it. Yeah. Michael bunting's off to a nice little start with the hurricanes as well. Five points in his first six games, including a couple of goals. Uh, Maple Leafs playing in Washington, game four of uh, five on this road trip tomorrow night at six o'clock, by the way. All right, this Insider is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's Insider, the great Frank Cervelli, president of hockey content at DailyFaceOff.com, living and breathing with every... Uh, Phillies uh, game against the Arizona Diamondbacks, the upstart Arizona Diamondbacks in the NLCS. How's it going, Frank? I'm good. Yeah, quite an annoying team, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah, I don't think it's the the last time we'll hear from them in the postseason. But yeah, like it it, it might just be that the moment's getting a little too big for them. Although, yeah, I I, I don't know. What where's your level of confidence in in Craig Kimbrell? Uh, it's very low. If you rewind back a couple of weeks, I think I mentioned it on air. <laughs> I just said I don't trust Craig, Craig Kimbrell at all. So, I mean, anything we could could do to avoid giving him the ball over the next three weeks would be great. <laughs> yeah, the key would be getting out, out to a big lead, um, like that Alvarado, though. Yeah, yeah, that's the th- like. I, I, I it would have been whole energy that guy. It would have been really interesting to see if Game Five was close enough to require a Craig Kimbrell save. Like, do you think he's the guy if they they need uh, the final outs in a close game tonight? I don't think they can go to him, no. Mm, okay. All right. That's enough baseball talk. Eagles are looking good, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm still recovering from last night. Um, all right. Uh, the Leafs have recovered nicely from a little early season dip uh, with the two points against a team that they've, uh, frankly, owned um, in the last couple of years in the Tampa Bay Lightning, picking up uh, points in all of their regular season games last year, and then they win the playoff series in six games as well um where are you on the early season returns of this leafs team that is integrating a bunch of new players they had a a bunch of sloppy games back and forth a lot of goals against in the first couple of games but you know once they got samson off out of there they've looked like a different team defensively yeah i was gonna say i think honestly i kind of temper all of how i view the first few weeks you try and not view it totally through the prism of well what would things have looked like had samson off played better or had uh, Joe Wall been in there for more action. I think that's a fair way to even ask the question. So um, I think there's the returns have mostly been pretty positive. I think there's been a lot of different bright spots. I think there's definitely been some hiccups and some things that they can clean up. And I think really what you're seeing through the first few weeks is a team searching for chemistry, searching for a little bit of identity. And I think it feels like, you know, you add in a character win like the one over Tampa and it starts to feel like it is coming together a little bit. 
Yeah, what do you what do you make of the the kind of conversation around the Leafs league wide? Because here, you know, we've talked about how it's been it's been a similar ish start in that okay, they're getting off and to to an okay start. They're not burying themselves, but in years past, you've had questions about one or any of the big four. Those guys have been full freight or early on. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, kind of what the league wide perception is of the start the Leafs have had because internally here, it's a lot of talking about the uneven fit that a lot of the new pieces have had as opposed to the the core four conversations that we're always having i think the conversation has been pretty similar league-wide i mean i think everyone's really curious to see how these pieces will all fit together and and frankly it's also fair to ask the question will they fit together not every piece that you add into the mix does that and so i think there's a little bit of wait and see and i think the biggest thing is um you know wait and see is the motto of the entire season Mm. really for everyone because no one's expecting this team to stub its toe in the regular season and and fall short of the playoffs. They're way too good for that. It's all about the postseason. So when it comes to getting there, um, no one's really expecting anything otherwise. Yeah, and 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 to that point that they're they're going to be in the postseason. Hey, the Oilers are going to be in the postseason as well. But yeah, it, it's it's <laughs> and we'll get to the Oilers in just a second. But the fact that the Leafs are are building up some some equity as far as points and picking up the, the the four points in the first two games, despite those not being perfect and picking up the, the two points on Saturday against the lightning while integrating new players that the conversations about immediacy and maybe the ability for Sheldon Keefe to ease up on the gas when it comes to playing Matthews and Marner 25 minutes a game. Like, is it, is there actually a secondary layer of importance to getting off to a good start when you're trying to implement some 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 new look players that are you know going to be significant uh, significant contributors in your top six when we're talking about Bertuzzi and, and Domi maybe I think it just takes the heat off right it takes the pressure off of those guys when you see you know your core four produce the way that they have um, it takes the pressure off of you know everyone just kind of can ease into it which is such a nice feeling to have instead of being thrown right into the pressure cooker. It's hard enough. And it's hard when you're beating yourself. But the thing is, the Leafs have really tried to limit that, at least in the first five games of the year, to be the team that's constantly trying to dig dig out of their own issues and, and really try and take some of that to the opponent. So I think that part has been good. Um, it, it The nice thing is no one's hair is on fire. And I guess that's more than you can say for a few other teams. Yeah, there there certainly are uh, a couple other teams that that could that could uh, talk themselves into that. Or let's be honest, they don't even need much much help. Obviously, uh, one of those you're, you're referencing is uh, is the Oilers. There, uh, it's been a rough rough start. McDavid now goes out. I you know I don't I don't think things are going to spiral there. And they've been you know Leon Drysaddle has carried that team when McDavid's been out in the past there. But uh, you know there's no player that has a bigger impact on their team. What do you think the Oilers look like without McDavid, albeit for the pretty short term time here? It is a short-term time. In fact, the way that they even phrased their release last evening saying one to two weeks, I mean, it's not lost on anyone that the Heritage Classic is on Sunday, Battle of Alberta against the Calgary Flames. I don't know about you guys. I have a really hard time envisioning Connor McDavid not being part of that game. Mm. Probably sits the first two games of the week, Minnesota, and then home against the Rangers on their Hall of Fame night. And you figure it out from there. But here's here's what's, you know, 
a little bit more concerning, I guess, is when you take a look at um, the overall play. And uh, to be honest, McDavid hasn't really looked quite like McDavid to start this year. And I wonder if that hit and the way that he left the ice, was that just an exacerbation of a previous injury that seemed to be hampering him? I, I mean, I saw him up close and personal in Philly when they were here last week, and it just it wasn't the same guy. He didn't have the same burst. He didn't have the same impact. He didn't have a shot on goal. Um, things just didn't look right. And then you see the way Saturday plays out, and you say, is this some sort of you know muscle-related issue that he's been dealing with? I'm not a doctor. I'm just mm. looking at it and saying, this has not been the same guy that we were used to and accustomed to seeing. Yeah, that's that's rough stuff for Jay Woodcroft, who's already, you know, he's, he's bringing out the swears in, in the post-game media uh, availabilities, and Evander Kane has taken veiled shots at him in interma- intermission uh, interviews. <laughs> I mean, like, it's early. I mean, that's, all, that's always good when that happens. Yeah, like it does. It's five games, and again, the Oilers will be in the playoffs, <laughs> right? I mean, they, right, right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, look, it's not like this team has struggled in the regular season before. I mean, can look at the last two years. Mm-hmm. Jay Woodcroft takes over February tenth, twenty twenty-two. They're missing the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They're out. They're outside of it. I think it was twenty twenty-one. Excuse me, but. Point being, they were outside of the playoffs and made it to the Final Four. Then last year, you look at the way that things unfolded, and they had some serious hiccups even as late as January with the way Jack Campbell was playing. So this team has kind of overcome a lot of whatever issues they've had in the regular season and have found their stride. And I think if you're the Oilers, what you point to is, hey, we finished last year on a 14-0-1 run. We're capable of going through almost a quarter of the season on a tear. Let's not panic. Yeah, I, I I guess, but it does feel like the head coach is feeling the heat, right? Like again, like when you see that type of stuff, and and uh, again, when you see the discord, maybe with the Vander Kane, who's is known for his discord, like it, it He's does been behaving lately. It's been a while for him. It's true. I mean, maybe he was just it, has, it actually he was has due. been a while. We saw that Mark Spector wrote a piece actually last week on Sportsnet.ca, and I was like, oh. That might be the kiss of death. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, Evander's like, wait a minute. I, I do have a lot of leash here. I've really earned this. I'm going to tear <laughs> into this coach. I think it said something about Evander Kane, man at peace. And I was like, oh, oh no, no. <laughs> don't ever mention it. It's like talking about how it's not going to rain or something like that. You don't ever, ever do that. Uh, back to the Atlantic here for, for a second and not to talk about the Leafs, but the, but the rest of the teams in it. I mean, Boston, obviously the biggest surprise at 5-0. and oh, I think Detroit at 5-1 at and one, right there with them, obviously. They had the uh, the big big win over the weekend in the uh, Debrincat Bowl. There, uh, which of those two teams do you expect, or do you have more belief in being able to hang on and and this being real? You know, I, I've seen the start from the Red Wings, and I see all the goals that they're pouring in, and I see as well as Debrincat has played. I mean, they've got thirty goals to this point, eleven more than the Leafs. I know they've played one more game. That's it's a lot. 30, 30 goals in six games. And I mentioned last week the idea of Patrick Kane and how he might want to at some point relink up again with Alex Debrinkit and try and create some of that magic again. I expect the Red Wings to be on his list. But I'm just I'm not believing that they can continue to play and produce at this pace over a full stretch. 
So I, I would say count me out on the wings. I still, I, I'm, I'm just not a believer in their defense core. And I think that's what's going to be an issue over the long term. So that that's how I would answer that. Rasmus Anderson uh, appealing the the four game suspension for his late charge. Um, how, how do you feel about? It's a good thing Major League Baseball is not handling the appeal, or they deal with it after his retirement. That's... <laughs> well, it's funny you said that actually, because the truth <laughs> is they're probably not going to deal with this. The, the The appeal process takes so long that to think that it'll be done and there'll be a judgment rendered before the Heritage Classic, for instance, which is another reason why on Sunday they're pushing to have it be reduced. That's the part of the process that's broken. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't goes, know. So it goes to the commissioner and then the commissioner needs to look at it and say, hold on a second. The department of player safety really messed up here. I'm going to slap my own employees and say that they're wrong. Mm. Doesn't really happen all that often. Does it? Well, and it, it no, do- almost never. Yeah. And it does feel it's what was the, like the longest regular season suspension last season was three games. It seems, it seems large. I mean, what, what did you make of, of the size of that suspension and the likelihood that it will be upheld? I don't really have any issue with it. I think it's, there's a lot of different ways to look at that hit. I don't really like the point of contact. I don't like the timing. I don't like the direction of the ice, like meaning how he arrives at that point. Um, There's really not a lot to like about it. So if you're saying, okay, the longest suspension handed out last season, which again has no bearing or, or impact on how this is, how this works out was three last year. This seems excessive at four. I mean, so is that your argument that it only should be three instead of four? I'm not saying you guys, I'm just saying what, no, no, what kind understand. of argument will they present today or whenever the, the, um, the actual hearing is held you're you're hoping to get it reduced by one game. Yeah, it's not a uh, it's not like I I understand the point you're making there and yeah, I mean we've it's funny it just it felt like I'm trying to think maybe it was 4 or 5 years ago where every single day that we talked about hockey on any platform at least 25 minutes of it was dedicated to quibbling about suspension length so I I'll, I'll be mm-hmm. honest I'm happy to not have that be not that I don't love the hits I mean honestly it's like you don't want me ruling on these things I'd give them a pat on the back and tell them to get back out there cuz I love caveman hockey but it's like I'm so happy we're removed from this where we don't spend 25 minutes breaking down uh, suspensions every single week because honestly it was it's a part of my hockey fandom and and talking about it for work that I I just quite honestly never ever want to want to go back to you know in terms of uh, league stories or or you know stories we've spent a lot of time talking about here obviously the Nylander contract has been a big one and uh-huh. you know there there's going to be conversation about it all year long because I you know I don't know it I don't know that that gets done in season maybe you have more insight there but the question I had is you know outside of him falling off the face of the earth how much is his number already kind of baked in? And that's not to say that Bradshaw Living has an offer sitting in a desk somewhere, but how much can can really change? And I guess further to that point, it's a guy who can't talk until this summer, but with Marner, how much can his number really change based on what's happened? And how much is their perception and what they are as players kind of baked in league-wide now? Somewhat, but I think still open to interpretation. Like, I, I think when you look at Nylander specifically, like, I, I think his game has only grown. And if you look even just purely at the numbers, 
it's it's super early, but nine points in a five game stretch, like mm-hmm. you're talking about a really significant pace. And so for someone that's you know peaked out to this point at 40 goals and 87 points, if he's stretching into the hundred point range and north of 40 goals again, I don't think the number is baked in. I think it's ratcheting up, which I think is really the point of this entire exercise for the Nylander camp. It's we know what you think he is, but we think he's in an even bigger scale than that. Mm. And the point is we're going to go out and show it to you this year. You know, and I think, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say what the, the complicating part for the Leafs is, it's only really costing them more. Not mm-hmm. it's ever it's not really ever going to cost them less. No. And I think Brad Tree Living understands that, which is why I think I'm not going to say it's a probability by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's a possibility that he continues to chip away at this over the next, you know, number of weeks and or months to try and get something done because it's the numbers never going down. No, it doesn't seem like it especially if he continues at this pace. Uh, John Tavares also has nine points in his five games to start this season. He has 363 points in his 365 games as a Toronto Maple Leaf, so just shy of a point a game player. First season, he he has the 47 goals, but he's been a pretty consistent producer for this team. And, you know, there is a section of Leaf fans that does look at the 11 million bucks and, you know, I, I guess they want to revisit the 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 signing of, of Tavares in in the offseason of 18. I mean, how do you view John Tavares's near decade uh long run with the Leafs? I mean, he's probably the most underappreciated point per game player in Leaf history. Is that Whole, fair? Wholeheartedly agree. Cannot cannot begin to co-sign that enough, Frank. So with that said, like you can still like and appreciate and also think that that contract was exactly the worst thing at the worst time for the Leafs. Is that fair? Can two, can both of those things be true at the same time? Yeah, I think they can. It just, well, first off, no one saw a pandemic coming and us walking around like zombies with masks on for a while and the flat, <laughs> uh, a flat cap for four consecutive seasons. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that part doesn't help, and you also kind of view it through that prism. But it's the one contract that at the juncture the Leafs were at, maybe they felt like they needed at the time to help finally get them moving in the direction that we've seen them in for the last number of years, which is not just consistent playoff team, but Stanley Cup threat. It, that's a really hard gap to bridge, and they've done that. But at the same time, it's the one contract that's gotten in their way more than any other. Yeah. No, but, but I mean, he's held up his end of the bargain. It's not his fault. Yes, and done it at, a, at an age and time when um, his game has also really changed a lot. Well, Frank, I, I was kind of thinking about that, and I don't want to overstate this, but, you know, we've seen this these second careers from guys. Joe Pavelski is maybe the best version of it. Corey Perry's obviously a very different version of this. But I was thinking, you know, so much of the talk about Pavelski and why he's able to be this guy is he wasn't a good skater when he was 26, so it doesn't really matter when he's 36. For a guy who was first overall pick and, you know, exceptional status player, that's also been John Tavares. You know, everyone keeps expecting his game to fall off a cliff. Is it entirely possible he just kind of stays this guy until the kind of Joe Pavelski or deeper into his 30s I think it's possible because his game has changed like he's gone from being power forward to 
if you really dive in and look at his numbers, he's been one of the best net front players in the NHL for so good the last three, four years. Mm-hmm. He's right up there with Pavelski and others. And so that's that's a lot different than his game was with the New York Islanders. And it's it's going to continue to evolve. I think the, the issue or concern for Tavares, I think, as he continues to age would be that he just becomes one, more one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you want to try and avoid. But the work ethic, the compete, um, the care, like all those things are there that I think will try and help stave some of that off as long as you can. Um, I don't know where John Tavares was 30 years ago today. I know where I was. I have an idea where you were, Frank Cervelli. Do you know what happened 30 years ago today? Did the Blue Jays win the World Series? Yeah. Now, a certain guy touched them all. Yeah, and I, I always struggle with this because it, I view it as such an in, obviously an indelible moment, not just in Toronto sports fi- uh, history and Blue Jays history, but in baseball history that – there's an other, there's a Frank Cervelli side of this that there's a, a group of people that were heartbroken Ugh, in that moment. Like, I, I was like, as soon as you said it, I just had an absolute pit in my stomach. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I kind of figured where you were heading and I was like, Joe Carter. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> then first, that is the first time I've ever heard that name said that way. Just so you know, normally it's, ah, oh, Joe I Carter. If I was off air, I would have had I a few bet. I bet. <laughs> It's the only it's you know what I here's what's really funny about the 93 World Series. It's the first thing I really remember crying about. Oh, wow. Wasn't like a death in the family or, (laughs) you know, someone beat me. It was because Joe Carter whipped the Phillies. Oh, yeah. That is a hell of a moment. Just Mitch Williams. Yes. The. the, Oh. No, yeah. he he's a guy. We say Mitch Williams around here as as much as we say Joe Carter. Yeah, <laughs> not uh, Joe bleeping Carter like you do in Philly. Anyways, gross. It was fun to reminisce. See you, Frank. Hope Thanks you have a that. good morning. Yeah. See you guys. Good morning. Bye. Frank Cervelli, president of hockey content at DailyFaceOff.com. This insider was brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online. And in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, you almost forget that there's another. And you know what? Yeah, they've won course, World duh. Series since then. So it's. Yeah. It probably softens the blow. But yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a, a really passionate fan base in Philadelphia that likes baseball. They're probably crestfallen. You know how. Joe Carter hit that out. Do you know how I know that? And I actually don't have a hard time remembering that is because I mostly care about the Leafs. So mm-hmm. I am that person for just about everyone in the NHL. Like there's right. a lot of dudes who are like, oh my God, people no. don't like Jack Edwards. No. Like when they say, and he stopped him in the belly. <laughs> you th- oh, right. People don't like that. Oh, uh, weird. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people, me. I guess. That's yeah. how I know. Different yeah, stakes, oh, though. Jer- oh, Jeremy Roenick, yeah, we okay, love him. Right. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. That's true. Yeah. So <laughs> I, that, so it's like my whole life. That's how. It's it's true. But there's not been a moment as significant. I mean, maybe if you're going back to, to Gretzky in in overtime. Like, I, w- I was talking about how Kerry Frazier was Judas on this very show last week. So, yeah, maybe I do go back to that. Maybe. Yeah. But it's not. It's different than like the, the deciding home run in a, to walk Guess off a what? World it's Series. It's not because no one here will ever even know <laughs> what, what a I World mean. Series is like. So that's, that's why it's actually not different at all. Because that's it's oh, worse. Because yeah. it feels the same. Because that's right. all we know. Mm-hmm. But everyone else gets to go. 
What do you, it's like, it's like, if you ever, you ever see your kid is like very upset about something and yeah. everyone's like, but it doesn't matter. And it's like, that somehow just makes the kid more upset. Yeah. It's like, that's kind of me <laughs> talking about all this stuff. It's great. That's a great point. Yeah. You are a child. Uh, uh, Dane Cook's perfectly shattered tour is coming to Casino Rama Resort on November 10th. And we're giving away tickets all week long to enter. All you have to do is tune into episodes of the Fan Morning Show, listen for the code word, then text the code word to 590-590. Today's code word is Dane. Text Dane to 590-590 right now to enter for your chance to win. We'll be giving away another pair of tickets tomorrow, but if you don't win with us, you can secure your tickets at ticketmaster.ca. we got a Game 7 in Major League Baseball tonight. Last doubleheader of playoff baseball this season on Sportsnet. Caleb Joseph will be on the desk for the games tonight. He joins us next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Doubleheader of playoff baseball today on Sportsnet. You get yourself a game six in Philadelphia. Philly's trying to close out the Diamondbacks up three games to none. Merrill Kelly against... Aaron Nola, uh, and then Game 7, ALCS, Rangers, Astros, Max Scherzer against Christian Javier as uh, the Rangers trying to dispose of the defending World Series champions. Um, and if you're a neutral, the team everybody's rooting for, like, pretty pretty clearly. Like, yep. The Rangers aren't a perfect team, but, like, I, I don't know. Is there a single person who has, like, was not born in Houston or died in the wool an Astros fan that is rooted for the Astros out like once the revelations came to pass in 2019. Yeah. I was telling you my, uh, you know, how helpful my wife is with keeping tabs on sports. She said she likes the Astros, likes the orange jerseys. So oh, there you go. Yeah, all right. She also hates Craig Kimbrell. Every time she sees him with his quote, <laughs> stupid arm thing, she roots against whatever team he's on. So she is actually yeah, off okay. board. Hates not... the Phillies, loves the Strohs. All right. Know. Very strange. All right. Let's talk to Caleb Joseph. Uh, Sportsnet's MLB analyst on the desk for tonight's doubleheader. Man, you are the face of playoff baseball on, on Sportsnet right now. How's it going, Caleb? Long time no talk. <laughs> yeah, what's up, Ben? How you doing? I'm doing all right, man. So I I, I think I, I hit the nail on the head when it came to, like, uh, baseball fans as far as how much they're rooting against the Astros. I wonder, as, like, a former player, how players feel, obviously, outside of that, that Astros uh, clubhouse, how they feel about what went down in 2017 and then like pretty clearly didn't end in 2017. But I mean, is there still a disdain around Major League Baseball? You've been around the the clubhouse uh, for the Blue Jays and, and been down to the ballpark plenty of times this season. Like, is there still the stank surrounding that team? I think collectively that has passed, but individually players We'll think about it. And, I mean, I've never forgotten about it. And I remember playing at that park, going there five different times, playing three games, that's 15 games, and winning one. One and 14, thinking, man, what is what is our deal coming to this park? We can't ever win here. Uh, is it the lights? Is it the crowd? Is, is it the dimensions? What is it? And then we come to find out exactly what it was <laughs> and you're going, okay, now it all makes sense. Um, 
But I think it's not something that you talk about as a whole collectively. If the Astros come into town, you're not going, oh, here, here come the here come the cheaters or whatever. But I, I do know that, that individually, each kind of individual player has their own opinions on it. And, and most of them are, are still kind of disappointed that it ended the way it did. It's uh, it's good to know the major league clubhouses do not act the same way as the uh, the unwashed masses that go to the games do. Because I tell you, I feel it, and I know a lot of people do. Of <clears throat> look at those cheaters, still, still uh, considered that way for a lot of fans. <laughs> but yeah, you guys are a little closer to it, you get a little bit more. Obviously, big big talking point, not just in this series, but but in the postseason right now is the is the suspension, the appeal that's going to come. Did Abreu intentionally throw at him? Uh, wh- what do you make of of the the suspension pending to to Abreu? The fact that the appeal won't be hurt in time so he'll still be allowed to pitch and do you think he hit him intentionally well i i really think that this is probably the best move in terms of not suspending him for game seven that would that would be just a travesty because i initially when it happened i initially said wow i can't believe you just drilled him on purpose right there Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then i started thinking about it and the more that i've thought about it the more 50 50 I have gotten and I am normally right out of the gate have a pretty good gut that was intentional or that was not intentional no questions that is right but this one the more that I've thought about it the more that I'm right in the middle I I think the only person that truly knows whether they hit Garcia on purpose is Abreu Mm. I just I, I think what does he gain from that everybody's celebrating now Everybody does the celebrations. It's, it's not like he's the only guy that's ever done that before. Those are commonplace. And he gains really nothing. I know there's history between him and uh, Maldonado behind the plate. But in a two-run game, th- there's not time for retribution when there's a potential game to be won. If it was a 10-1 game and it was out of hand, I, there's no doubt I would have said, yeah, he hit him on purpose. But – the more that I've thought about it, I, I'm just not sure. And I'm, I'm just glad, though, that he won't be suspended for Game 7 because he, he's, a, he's a big part of their team. And I don't even know if the Rangers would want to say, yeah, we won in seven games because we didn't have to, to face Abreu in the eighth. So, so are you? So, I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying. Are you of the opinion that it sounds like it, it, it sounds like what you're saying is Major League Baseball isn't quite sure? So, why don't we just call it suspended, but let them play the game and then see what happens? Call it fifty-fifty. Is that basically <laughs> what you're saying here? Like, I'm just trying to wrap my head around what what you're what you're getting at, Caleb. Yeah, I, I think what I'm saying is they don't want him to be suspended for the playoffs. Uh, once you deem that that a player has been suspended. I've never seen a player be suspended for two or three or four games, appeal it and receive zero. They're always suspended (laughs) something, right? Yeah. Well, the suspension was two games. So if they heard the case today and decided that it was one game, essentially they could suspend him for this game today, game seven. And I just, I'm not sure that's, 100% 100% fair. Uh, if it was me, I would I would be suspending him for the next season. Um, because, again, I think it's so 50-50. This is such a weird... When I look at the Rangers side, 
you would think, absolutely. Look, guy hit a three-run homer, and then the very next pitch he gets drilled 98 in, in, in the back. I mean, of course it's intentional, but then you're going on the Houston side saying, why in the world would we hit that guy and risk potentially getting thrown out, risk our eighth-inning guy getting suspended? And there was a game at hand. Are you serious? The catcher was set up outside. Get out of here with this. I mean, I totally <laughs> see both sides, and I have no idea where I am on the fence here. I have no idea, and that's, that is not not normal. No, I know where I am, and it's and it's it's to the place that I think that you are leaning once the game was over. Because like in the moment, you're right. Like that makes sense. The guy, the yeah, Adolis Garcia was was a statue at home plate in like the biggest moment of his professional life. It should be said, uh, gives his team the lead, uh, thinks that he's 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 been the postseason hero for this Rangers team, um, and then the next time he's at the plate, gets plunked right in the back by the first pitch. Yeah, that feels very suspicious, but then you take a step backwards. And I think what you said after that is, is the thing that, that can't be, can't be denied is that the Astros still have a playoff baseball game to win. And and they're not in the Mm -hmm. business of just handing away base runners in a two run game in the eighth inning when the, the leadoff man is already aboard and somehow they get out of that inning as Ryan Presley cleans it up. And then of course they, they get the heroics by Jose Altuve in in the ninth inning, I just I, I think from a pure baseball perspective, there's there's nobody in their right mind that that would. I mean, clearly there's no message being sent to Abreu that he needs to plunk Garcia in that moment. And if he did it on his own, it's an insane move, it's, uh, because of the reasons I just outlined. Uh, they end up winning the game, and Presley, as I mentioned, got them out of that jam. He's never blown a postseason save in his entire career, Caleb. Like I I I, I know he's regarded as one of the best closers in baseball, but like not enough. Like, I, I don't know if we're talking enough about how Ryan Presley's postseason career has been completely unblemished. Yeah, I totally agree with you. You, you look back at, at that game five, he, he got out of two first and second, no out jams. And that is, that is something, especially late in the game when the, the tensions and the energy is the highest, uh, he was on the road for that game. Being able to get out of those jams right in the heart of their lineup is something. And I remember facing him when he was with Minnesota, and that curveball that he has was, man, it's, I guess, hybrid slider, whatever you want to call it. Everybody has such a different name for their breaking ball. It's the sweeper. It's the bender. It's the, I mean, everybody's got a new name or whatever. But, look, this is a breaking ball that – was unlike any other breaking ball that I've seen. It was had such amazing uh, depth to it, and it was so late. You kind of saw it up, and you thought, oh, man, this looks like a hanger. I think I'm going to really do some damage with this thing. And then as you kind of start your swing, it just takes a nosedive straight down. And uh, it kind of falls off the mound a little bit to the first base side, and then he kind of stretches his arm out kind of more throwing to the kind of third base side. So it's got body going one way, arm going another way. It's a unique delivery, but you're absolutely right. He has been dominant for that club, and he's not getting enough credit. Mm-hmm. When you look at the numbers, it's incredibly impressive what he's been able to do. And, and this is in a, in a city that has been expected to win. So it's one thing to, to just be doing it here and there and kind of showing up, but to do it when you're expected to win almost makes it even more impressive that he's been virtually perfect for the Astros. Uh, at last check, 
Max Scherzer was was not at all perfect. He, he wasn't so great. Making his, his first start since that Blue Jays start on September 12th. Um, in game three of this series, gave up five runs on five hits at a walk. Uh, only went four innings. But that's that's a guy, again, getting his feet wet after more than a, a month off. Like, what what are your expectations for, for Scherzer? This is, this is his time, right? This is a guy that has a World Series ring. Doesn't get any bigger than a game seven. Yeah, I think the best of Scherzer is going to show up. I thought the stuff in that start was good. I I liked the presentation. I thought he presented very well. I just didn't think he was very crisp. And I think it looked like a guy who had his his B-plus stuff but had zero feel and location for where he really wanted to go early in the game. He was behind in the count, and that's not like Scherzer and I feel like he's going to step up. I feel like he's going to bring his A game, and the the Rangers actually have a good chance here. I I thought they were toast, and now they're right back in it. And amazing how the tides can turn, the storylines can change so quickly in a playoff series. But I really feel like Mad Max is sort of built for this exact game. This is exactly the type of scenario that the Texas Rangers were envisioning when they went and got a Max Scherzer to fill in for their injured Jacob DeGrom. And I think he's going to rise to the occasion. If this was his first start back, I wouldn't feel so good about it. But being his second start, I feel like he's gotten a little bit of those cobwebs out and he'll be ready to go locked and loaded for tonight's game seven. Uh, we may have a, a Game 7 in the NLCS, which is something I, I didn't anticipate as a possibility after the Phillies looked so dominant at home the first two games of the series. But the Diamondbacks, man, give them credit for uh, for for showing up for, for this series. And, and a big part of that was Gabriel Moreno coming through with, with a pretty large hit to, to give his team the lead in Game 4. I, I know it like it pains Blue Jays fans to to, to right. see the highlights that he's putting forth um, and think about what could have been, despite the fact Blue Jays have a pretty good catching tandem in Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk. But yeah, that guy's going to be a force for years to come. As a former catcher, Caleb, like what what are you seeing out of out of Moreno? Not former. Once a catcher, always a catcher. <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what like how how. Uh, yeah, how how devastated should Blue Jays fans be in watching what he's done this postseason? Yeah, they should be pretty upset. <laughs> I I've been watching this guy, and I'll tell you, I'm I'm impressed with how he's swinging the bat. I I saw him more as a contact guy when he was with the Jays, and it there really wasn't a ton of kind of Kevin Barker back leg city action going, but. <laughs> When I've seen this guy swing the bat as an Arizona Diamondback, I'm seeing him leaning on balls. And he is really kind of stepped into a more dangerous type stance and a more dangerous type swing. This guy looks like he's going to do damage. I mean, he's swinging. It's still connected. It's still tight. But he's got some bat speed. He's got some thump behind the the barrel. And I've been impressed watching him take some ABs off of some of these Philly relievers. He squared up Alvarado a couple days ago, and I was first pitch too, and I was in total shock, thinking, "Holy smokes, that that I did not see that type of swing not one time as a as a Toronto Blue Jay." I think his catching's getting better and better and better. He looks more comfortable to me, and that just comes with experience. Um, I, I was on the kid; I really was. I just didn't want him playing 
right in the middle of a, of a championship season, getting his feet wet for the Jays. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to watch because of his age, because of his athleticism. Uh, you see the caught stealing percentage. Yeah, it's really tough. And then even Lourdes kind of going off and doing uh, his thing. Yep. It's, it's been, it's kind of like breaking up with a girlfriend and then realizing, man, like maybe I shouldn't have broken up with her. Like she was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, maybe your girlfriend is a, a, her next relationship was is with like Leonardo DiCaprio or something. I guess it's just not it's not ideal. How long have you been in Toronto, Caleb? This is the longest road trip for you of all time. Are you getting sick of uh, of room service? What's going on? Please, he's watching yeah, hockey when he's not covering baseball. He's loving it. I know he is. That's right. To quote uh, favorite one of my favorite baseball movies, uh, Sandlot. Forever. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've been here forever. Uh, yeah, my my wife is, uh, she's like, hey, are you alive? Like, you ever coming back? Like, come on. So, no, no, nah, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hang out and do the uh, do the World Series too. So it'll be it'll be a bunch of fun. All right, maybe you can apply for your Canadian citizenship when when all said and done, you'll be here long enough. Uh, that's right. Yep, that's right. <laughs> see you, man. Let's do it. All right, sounds good. See ya. There's uh, Caleb Joseph, Sportsnet baseball analyst. He's been here for uh, a while, doing a great job on the desk Boy, with uh, Brad Fay. Uh, as uh, we got a Game 7 tonight, and maybe a Game 7 in the National League Championship Series. That hurts a lot, like, to hear the guy that knows the catching position mm. as well as Caleb does. And I think... Man, he saw the same things I saw out of Gabriel Moreno, like a great prospect, and the defensive yep. side of things was always great, and the minor league numbers were always great from an average standpoint and a getting-on-base standpoint, but yep. that that can only get you so far if you're going to be a slap hitter that's not a big stolen base threat. That Okay, and especially at that position, you can you can play with like a 320 on base and, and no power, but you're not one of the elites in the sport. But when you start sprinkling in the power, like we've seen from mm-hmm. Moreno this postseason, and you play the elite defense and you have the incredible bat to ball skills, that's, that's something that's going to haunt you for a while. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, Alejandro Kirk, you know, he's just such a power threat these days. No, it's like, yeah, mm, you could have yeah, just that, had that. Oh, right? Maybe that was like a freaky Friday thing where all of Alejandro Kirk's power got sapped Went out of his Gabby. bag. And and went into Maybe. Gabriel Moreno's back. Yeah, tough, uh, tough going for Jays fans. I think the worst part about it is that, you know, every time he had a down game in the playoffs, some people were trying to do this. See, we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves. No one saw it coming this soon. But, you know, go talk to evaluators in baseball. Not surprised that it looks this way. This was the guy you traded away. He wasn't supposed to be this guy at 22 or whatever he is now. But he was always supposed to at some point in time become this guy. Okay. I, we usually wrap up the the show looking at some texts and, and yeah, see what yeah. the texters yeah. are saying. Um, I did the read for the Dane Cook Perfectly oh, Shattered tour. Dana, Game, um, Damien. <laughs> and you you said something that was probably correct last time yeah, I looked at the text. text. Yeah, boy. But this is somebody said, what the heck did Ben just say? It wrote in Dang, Dane. Like we're giving away Dane Cook tickets. <laughs> is it really that difficult to understand that what I'm saying is Dane? Text in the word Dane. Yeah. D-A-N-E to 590. 590, all right? It's Dane, okay. not Dane. You got it? Okay. <laughs> Everybody good? All right. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Morning Show, Sports at 590 Fan. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning.